0: This is um, the talk for Sunday, the 19th of April, take three. Thinking back to last week, to Good Friday, when Jesus was interviewed by Pontius Pilate, there was a point in the conversation where Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. In other words, Jesus is a king. He rules over a kingdom, but it's not like any kingdom that the world has ever seen. And as Christians, we know that we belong to this kingdom. So today we're going to try and answer two questions. Firstly, what kind of kingdom is it that we belong to? What kind of kingdom is it that we are receiving? And secondly, what does it mean to be citizens of this kingdom? Today's reading is from the book of Hebrews. So let's just take a moment to look at the overall message of Hebrews. Uh, The book of Hebrews is a letter. We don't know who wrote it. We don't know where the recipients of this letter lived, but the content makes it clear that the author was well acquainted uh, with the disciples. It's written to a Jewish audience. It assumes a huge amount of background knowledge uh, about the Old Testament. And it's written to a church that is facing persecution. And the letter sets out the superiority of the new covenant over the old covenant. In simple terms, the letter says that God has done something new and it's way better. Having a relationship with God through Jesus Christ is the best way and the only way to come close to God. And the letter also warns us against returning to the old way of doing things. The letter demonstrates that Jesus is superior in every way. He's superior to all the messengers of God's word that went before him angelic messengers in particular. He's superior to all the previous leaders of Israel, Moses in particular. Uh, Moses uh, made a tent, a tabernacle, uh, but Jesus is responsible for the whole of creation. He's superior to all the priests in the line of Aaron. Jesus is the ultimate priestly king, and Jesus' sacrifice is, was the ultimate once and for all sacrifice that renders all other sacrifices unnecessary. In Hebrews, we see that uh, all that happened in the Old Testament was just a foreshadowing of what Jesus would ultimately do. In other words, the Old Testament is like a huge arrow that points forward to Jesus. So what does the book of Hebrews tell us about Jesus's kingdom? Well, In this passage, it compares two ways of God and his people interacting. The first was when God gave the law to Moses on Mount Sinai. The mountain was a foreboding place, burning with fire, uh, and it was shrouded in darkness, gloom, and storm. It sounds a bit like Mount Doom from Lord of the Rings, doesn't it? And no one except Moses was allowed up the mountain. Uh, No one could even touch the mountain. Not even their animals could touch it. And there was a trumpet blast and a voice that people couldn't bear to hear. It was terrifying. Uh, Even Moses trembled. And this is kind of what we expect from powerful leaders. Certainly in the ancient world, people would have been terrified of their rulers. And even the most benevolent rulers by today's standards are pretty inaccessible. Take the queen, for example. Uh, a lot of the time she resides in Buckingham Palace well, there are huge railings that go all the way around the outside. You can't get near her. You can't just go up and speak to the queen. If you climb on the fence, a guard will point his weapon at you and scream at you to get down. Now, I'm sure that the queen is a warm and beautiful person, but she's not approachable. And in the Old Testament, when Moses receives the law, uh, God is not particularly Approachable. It's the same loving, gracious, compassionate, humble God that clothed himself in humanity and laid down his life for our sins. But because of sin, there was this huge barrier between humanity and God. In fact, the Bible is a story about God drawing human beings ever closer to himself. In the beginning, we see how Adam and Eve walk with God in the garden but then they seized autonomy they rebelled against God and they were separated from God Uh, then we see God making a covenant with Abraham one man drawing him close telling him his plans calling him to faithful obedience Uh, later on there was Moses who was given the law that would set God's people apart from the surrounding nations Moses built a tabernacle a place where God could dwell amongst his people. God is still not all that accessible, but he's a lot more accessible than he was on Mount Sinai. Uh, Then we have King David and his son Solomon. Solomon, of course, built the temple, a permanent place for God to dwell amongst his people. And finally, there's Jesus, who opened up a way for all of us to come into God's presence and walk closely with God once more. And the author of Hebrews draws our attention to the new situation. We now have access to God through Jesus Christ. And that changes everything. And and so from verse 22, there's a description of what is and what will be. Instead of going... Uh, to mount sinai the fearful mountain where god was a a distant terrifying figure we go to mount zion the heavenly jerusalem and this points us forwards to the beginning of revelation 21 and it's worth uh, reading in full it says then i saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth have passed away and there was no longer any sea I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away and in hebrews it says you have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly in other words god comes down to dwell in the midst of worshiping society and that means that you can come close to god you can know god Personally, you can approach God without fear. You can have an intimate relationship with God. Uh, This situation is, of course, far too, far superior to the one it's contrasted with, where only one person is allowed up the mountain to meet with a terrifying God. In the Old Testament, one person goes up to meet with God. In the New Testament, God comes down to meet with all his people. This is the change that Jesus has brought about. Jesus' kingdom is not just one where the king is accessible, it's one where the king is our closest friend. That is the kind of kingdom it is. Uh, There are parts of the world today where this message is particularly powerful. Uh, for those living in a theocracy where the religious authorities have supreme control, Iran, for example, or those living under a regime of an autocratic and authoritarian government like China. Uh, This message of a kingdom that is ruled by a just and accessible king, a king who engenders genuine love and not fear. It is not hard to see why the Christian message offers such hope to people in these kinds of situations, people who are in fear of their rulers. Imagine that's one of the reasons why uh, Christianity is growing so rapidly in Iran and China. In Jesus' kingdom, the king is entirely good and he dwells with his people. But there's another facet of this kingdom that we need to consider. Verse 28 says, we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Christ's kingdom is unshakable. And if it's unshakable, it must also be eternal. You know, we have a tendency as human beings to ignore the evidence of history and assume that the status quo will always remain the same. Since the day we were born, regardless of our age, America has been the most powerful nation in the world. Certain African countries have been the poorest. Russia and China have always seemed a bit menacing, but nothing too serious ever occurs. Australia has always been a comfortable place to live in our lifetime. And we tend to assume that this is how it will always be. But on what basis do we make that assumption? If we look back over history, we see that nothing has ever stayed the same for very long. Kingdoms and empires come and go. The balance of wealth and power shifts and changes. The Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Persians, the Greeks, the Romans, the Mongols, the Vikings, the Ottomans, the British kingdoms and empires come and go. Who can say which nations will be the most wealthy, powerful and stable in the next 20, 50 or 100 years time? Every so often uh, something happens that shakes the world, Uh, the the collapse of an empire, a major war, a global pandemic. And all of a sudden we realise that things are not as secure or as certain as we thought they were. This world can be shaken. This nation can be shaken our lives can be shaken and it doesn't take much if uh, towards the end of last year I'd said to you that people were starting to get ill in and around a fish market in Wuhan China you would have probably said well so what a few months later and the whole world is in lockdown and the richest most powerful country is currently the one suffering the most America is not an unshakable kingdom there are no unshakable earthly kingdoms but Jesus's kingdom is unshakable. As I said on Easter Sunday, if we are in Christ, if we belong to his kingdom, then our eternal destiny is completely secure. But why would anyone not want to be part of this kingdom? There's obviously a danger of even Christians falling away because in the latter part of this passage, it says, see to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. And this is followed by a warning that God will shake the heavens and the earth and what remains will be that which cannot be shaken in other words Christ's kingdom will remain and everything else will fall away. So who would be foolish enough to pass up this opportunity of belonging to Jesus' eternal kingdom well in the first uh, part of the passage in verse 16 Esau is mentioned do you remember Esau from the book of Genesis he was the hairy hunter who once came home from a hunting trip starving hungry and he exchanged his birthright with his brother Jacob for a single meal he is perhaps the most striking example of those who fail to appropriate the grace of God all the blessings of God are there for him to receive and he exchanges them for a single bowl of stew